We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another BuzzBee podcast. This is Richie and I appreciate everyone tuning in to another episode. If you want to know the best way to support us, uh, a way that is free and easy to do, just go give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. That will make us happy. Before starting our draft coverage, we are still recapping the season with some player performances. It's going to be very similar to those pieces that I wrote over on Substack, which you can visit by going to BuzzBeat. Dot substack.com. We are live on Twitch, Facebook. Those are the video. And then we also have Twitter spaces going on right now as well. If you just wanted the audio, I'm going to be joined by Lee today, who I've not recorded with past five or six weeks, but we've also got a guest, Ben. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Ben H-U-N-C-C. Ben, how's it going? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me. How about you? We're doing good. We're doing good. Now, how how long have you been a Hornets fan? As long as I knew how to watch basketball, basically. I mean, the first up my first memories were honestly the seven and fifty nine season, so that got off to a good start. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Lee, how's it going with you? I'm great, Richie. It's good to be back. Um, you know, just just had just had to uh, to recalibrate. You know, I had to. Uh, Sometimes you got to take take some time off, you know, you got to you got to feel things out. But it is uh, it is good to be back on the airwaves. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the offseason because this is when we can trick ourselves into being optimistic again. Yeah, it feels like you started your offseason a little bit early. I did. I just yeah, I just (laughs) just called it. (laughs) All right. Let's get into this by starting with LaMelo Ball, Ball, 21 years old. Played in just 36 games this season, which was a disappointment. That was the lowest of his three seasons. In terms of his game, let's just start with the offensive end. I think this goes without saying that he is so valuable and important to this team, especially on the offensive end. And just a number to highlight this, when he was on the court, he added plus 5.7 points per 100 possessions compared to when he was off. And that was the highest of his career. And technically speaking, it's second on the team, but it's behind Svi, who only played like a third of the minutes of ball. So filtering him out, 
tops on the team. And I did some other filters with this on-off number for the 22-23 season uh, on cleaning the glass. And here's what I found. Of point guards under the age, well, I guess 25 and under, 25 and under, playing at least 800 minutes, this season he ranked fifth in the NBA behind Luka, De'Aaron Fox, SGA, and Trey Young with that on-off number. And I get that he probably played like half of the minutes of those guys, but it still goes to show you what he can do on that end. There are just so many things that he does in terms of shot creation from behind the arc, playmaking, drive and kick game, that makes him very, very valuable. And that's some stuff uh, that you can always point to in terms of a positive. But Lee, starting with his offensive game, obviously there's stuff that he can improve upon on offense and we can get into that as well, but I'd love to hear from you about what makes Ball so special as a offensive engine on this team. Well, yeah, I mean, you hit on it, Richie. Like you, you look at the Hornets' offense uh, on the season. Uh, the Hornets scored 108.4 points per 100 possessions this season, which is good for you guessed it, worst in the NBA. I mean, this offense was putrid to say the least this season. Now, with ball on the floor, you mentioned that plus five, so they're around 113 points per 100 possessions with ball on the floor, which is like league average-ish. So the offense still wasn't spectacular by any means with ball on the floor, but like I just think I want to kind of reiterate to Hornets fans and listeners that that is a massive gap for one player to take your offense from literally the worst in the league to league average when he plays still speaks to how incredibly impactful LaMelo ball is as like you said, a 21 year old point guard Um, to further support your point. We all know that last season, uh, LaMelo ball led the Hornets to a top 10 offense and you know uh, what? 43 wins on the season. So he has a, fairly ironclad track record in his in his young NBA career as being a primary driver of efficient offense on the ball, which is incredibly impressive to say the least. Uh, I did some sorting of my own here and kind of still can't believe what I found. Like I, I checked it like six times. I'm sure somebody will correct me if this is somehow incorrect. Players averaging... 23 point equal to or greater than 23 points per game equal to or greater than six rebounds per game equal to or greater than eight assists per game entire league wide. There are three players in the NBA that did that this season. Can you guess who the other two are? I can think of two of them. I can't think of who the third would be. Well, third, the third's well, Lamella. Ball's, yeah, yeah. Ball's the third. So give the other two, Ben. Oh, 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 oh. oh Luca and Jokic had them. That's exactly right. Wow. So there, yeah. yeah I, like I said, I literally refreshed and double checked the screen like three times. Like I kind of couldn't believe it. Now, if you put the assist to like five, it, it grows. You know, LeBron's in there. Uh, I think even Booker's in there. But like, t- like all that to say, he's in an incredible class, even from just kind of a traditional volume counting stat standpoint. Richie, you mentioned the places he he still has to improve. I think we know those things. We've discussed them at length on the pod. Rim finishing, um, fouls, turnovers at times, although his assist-to-turnover ratio is still pretty impressive for a guy that carries as large of a usage rate as he does. Uh, you know, essentially two-point field goal percentage. The other highlight, I think, to mention about Ball is 
and I think Ben has even tweeted about this some about this some this season. Like he has become a really efficient three point bomber, which is which is really impressive, particularly considering that like prospect Lamelo Ball, like the big hesitation with him as a nineteen year old top three pick was, you know, will he ever shoot the ball efficiently enough to kind of complement the rest of his game? Right. And like that is already been solved. Um, so, you know, he's still so, so incredibly young at 21 years old. He's a primary driver of efficient offense. Obviously it was a disappointing season from an availability standpoint. And I would put my, I, I guess I would say I'm like, three or four out of 10 on the concern level for that. Like, I think he would have played more games this season if the Hornets were competitive, although he did miss a fair chunk of just straight up out for injury. And obviously he's still slight of frame. So like you could argue that, um, that this could be an ongoing issue. I'm not really ready to believe that yet. I think if the Hornets are competitive next season, uh, that he would kind of be back to to his normal um, slate of games played, hopefully. And, and I think the other thing is like he until this season, and they're both incredibly young centers. Until this season, he has not played with a solid like rim roll lob threat yet. Right. And now he's got Mark Richards, and he's got Nick Rich or Mark. He's got Mark Williams and Nick Richards, um, who are you know, unless something uh, from the draft or whatever, like offseason moves changes, he's got two really solid pick and roll partners, really solid rim lob threats, which should continue to kind of elevate himself as, as a young offensive player. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, when they call it the this season, just because of the situation, because of the injuries, I am more than willing to take the positive and throw out like 80% of the negative. He, as you, as um, 
as you just mentioned, he was one of the three players to average 23, 8, and 6, and he shot, what, 37% from three on, like, 100 attempts per game. And those attempts are not just catch and shoot from the corner, you know, like P.J. Tucker style. They're off the dribble, contested, seven steps behind the line. And that's something that, that really is invaluable. You look at the guys that, that do that, and you see the stats. I, I don't have it on me. But out of the players who attempted whatever the minimum threshold of like 30-plus footer or whatever it was, he had the best percentage. He was on fewer attempts, obviously. But out of Steph, out of Dame, Trey, Clay, Luca, he shot the best percentage. And it was like a good percentage, too. It was like 36%. Yeah, yeah. Steph, Steph was not good in that those long-distance three-point shots. But, yeah, keep going. Yeah, and that's before you even talk about his best skill, which is obviously his passing. And I think that there's this misconception that he's a pass-first player, and he's not. He's just a generational passing talent. He's absolutely he's totally an instinctual player who just kind of does whatever comes to mind, and that does get him in trouble sometimes. But it's something that I just don't really see from anyone else to the point where, like, it's just it's almost like he's challenging himself sometimes to see what type of stuff he can do that's never been done before. And the average, and at, you also mentioned this earlier, his assist to turnover ratio is good. It's like what eight point four to like three point one. On 3.2 or something like that. And another misconception is that, you know, he's only a flashy passer. He only, you know, he's turnover prone and he's really not. There's, to play that many minutes and average that many minutes doesn't have that few turnovers, especially when he's getting so much of the defensive attention, particularly this season when there's just no one else on the roster that's a threat to, to create anything almost. That's impressive. I mean, that's very impressive. It's, it's, you can definitely look at the efficiency, the shooting efficiency. It's not great. Well, at least the two-point percentage isn't great, but it. I'm willing to look at the past. His rookie season, he, he was shooting 45% from that field before he got injured. Last season, he shot 43-39. And this season in 36 games where he was either playing injured or just coming back for an injury or both, it went down a little bit, but the three-point percentage stayed more or less the same on higher volume. I'm willing to chalk that up to that'll go up if there's health and more around them next year. But every single game, you just see when he's play- when other guys are playing with him, particularly guys like P.J. Washington and Terry Rozier, the quality of shots that they get, it must triple. I mean, there it is infinitely more open, and it's... Um, and it makes life so much easier for everyone else around them, around him, that it's just hard not to see how just egregiously valuable he is often, regardless of what team that is, regardless of on the court with him. That it, it's pretty, it, it's insane, honestly. Yeah, I think the thing with him in terms of creating open looks for his teammates, and, and you're probably right, like it probably triples the amount of quality that comes uh, his teammates' way in terms of him just creating open shots. I think the biggest way that he does that is through his drive and kick game. And I I think there's a little bit of a mixture of bad and good there on the offensive end. And Lee, you mentioned it a little bit in terms of the rim finishing, but it's not so much the rim finishing that, that, that to me is, is down, but it's also just getting to the rim and wanting to get to the rim. His percentage of a rim attempts have gone down from 36% 
to 25 to 21 percent of his field goal attempts on the season uh, this past season. So he needs to have some kind of scoring inside the arc. And if he's not getting to the rim, it takes away the fouls drawn and it doesn't really provide an alternative for him to get his points. So that's the one thing that I'm looking at right now for room for improvement on the offensive end. Lee, do you think there's anything to the fact that he's been injured year after year? He is a guy that probably needs a little bit more muscle on his body. That That's a big reason as to why he's not trying to get all the way to the rim, or is he just so comfortable shooting the three and, and passing the ball as he gets into the lane that that's just – on the back of his mind that he doesn't even think about getting to the rim because I feel like that needs to be a part of his game. Oh, it, it definitely does. I mean, like you said, he's going to have to be able to, as he progresses it, you know, if the Hornets want to achieve any type of sustained real success, like he's going to have to develop something inside the arc that he can lean on. Um, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't have that yet. Um, I would agree uh, or, or I guess I would lean towards some leniency on, you know, he's probably trying to protect his body in certain ways. He's still incredibly slight. He's still so young. You would, you would hope that physically he will kind of, he will kind of develop as he ages. I mean, you know, we're three and four years away from LaMelo ball being 25, which is just kind of insane when you think about it. I mean, I mean, you think about a player like De'Aaron Fox right now who had so many holes in his game early in his career. I mean, his was kind of the inverse of LaMelo. Like, like De'Aaron couldn't shoot it. De'Aaron didn't make good decisions late in games. He was billed as a, as a player that couldn't generate offense in kind of high-leverage minutes. And all of a sudden this season, due to better roster construction, due to player development, all of a sudden he is all of those things. Um, so LaMelo again, kind of in the inverse via player development being via physical development and via playing in meaningful games and putting more of an emphasis on, you know, bending defenses with rim pressure, lane pressure, uh, and being able to finish and creating fouls, like you mentioned, um, you know, it's a concern. It's worth talking about. It's worth monitoring. Um, but because of his talent level, his size and his age, I think he can and will hopefully get there. Let's quickly talk about his defense before we move on to the next player. Uh, and I think the physical attributes that he lacks on offense probably hinders him on defense as well. Cause right now you just can't trust him to be a guy that is a primary defender at the point of attack any of these like high profile, high activity guys that have the ball a lot in their hands, he's just not a guy that you can trust on a consistent basis. I think Clifford put him in off ball positions more frequently than on ball positions with the ball handlers, very similar to what Indiana does where they have Halliburton as your primary guy on offense, but you've got Nimbard as the primary guy on defense and he shifts to the off ball role when he gets to the uh, offensive side. So I think that one... That's good. Clifford is kind of hiding his deficiencies on the defensive side of the court, but it could also highlight his strengths on the defensive side where he can play a little bit of that rover type, so to speak, where, you know, he gets his hands in the passing lanes. He's very, he's also a very good defensive rebounder, which I feel is better when you're in an off ball position because you can kind of see the whole court a little bit and maybe where the ball is coming off. So 
that right now I think is, is very much related to his strength on the offensive end. And he's got to get better at navigating screens and things of that nature. But there are some things that you can point to, Ben, on the defensive side of the court. Uh, so go ahead, Ben, and, and let me know what you think about him on the defensive end. Um, yeah, I'll start with the the positives. Um, he, he has great instincts. I remember reading something where they asked him how he was able to read passing lanes, and he said, just basically think about the pass you make and your, you would make and then jump that. And then whoever wrote that article was like, the problem with that is that there's like two humans on the earth that would make that pass. So <laughs> he definitely gambles quite a bit, but he has great instincts. He's able to, he's able to, to jump to the pass lane, get a lot of steals and deflections. So that's, that's great. And that gives you some hope. He's also six, seven. And it's hard for me to imagine a six, seven point guard being atrocious defensively if they don't want to be. You know what I mean? And but yeah, it's it's not great right now. It's 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 tough to watch at times. There's definitely a reasonable amount of disinterest at times, and to a certain extent, it's hard to blame them given the context of this season. But yeah, he he's really the first one back on defense. He's a little lazy and. He's like he stands straight up a lot. I've seen him. I've seen him have good defensive games. Clifford said at the end, the end of his year press conference that he thought Lamelo made strides defensively, and I didn't really see it. But who am I to tell Steve Clifford that he's wrong about something defensively? And but yeah, he just he gets lost a lot off ball. As you mentioned, his screen navigation is not great. You find he's got he, he has gotten better at this though. You find him if you watch him play off ball sometimes. His head is just like. It's like going in fast speed because he, he can't figure out for a second where he's got to go, and that makes him light in his rotation, and he'll leave a shooter open or he'll get beat back door. There's something of that nature. And transition defense, if he's got to be the one to stop the ball, that's that's pretty much a, a free lane to the rim because he's not the most laterally quick. He's, he's quick with the ball. Defensively, he's not the most laterally quick, and so guys are able to kind of go by him a lot more than you would hope. All right, let's wrap up LaMelo here, Lee. And uh, if you have anything you want to add defensively, you can. But in the piece, and we can kind of just quickly go through this, all three of us, I didn't grade these players like on an ABC basis. Uh, I just said, did they exceed my expectations, meet my expectations, or fail to meet? And then there was a fourth category, which I'm actually going to go ahead and grade LaMelo as incomplete, uh, mainly because, not that I'm blaming him for this, but mainly because of his injuries. Like I can't, I can't really in good faith give him met expectations when I expected him to be on the court a little bit more. So, Lee, what, what is your grade for that? Exceeded, met, failed to meet, or incomplete for LaMelo? I think incomplete is probably the fairest grade, Richie, but I'll actually go – I'll go failed to me, and I only say huh. that I just gushed about him for like 10 minutes. So I, I don't think anybody listening to this could mistake me for a massive LaMelo critic because I'm obviously uh, – probably maybe even too much of a fan at times and, and ignore some of his shortcomings, but I'll, I'll say failed to meet just to try to check my own bias because of the uh, amount of games played. And because of the fact that although, although we outlined that the offense was much better uh, with him on the floor, the fact that the Hornets had the worst offense in the entire NBA this season, you know, some of that has to fall at his feet. Uh, so I'll, I'll go failed to me on, on his third season. Um, 
I'm probably just going incomplete to be honest. Like I can't, I, I feel like I can't make a, a real great with that sample size. That's kind of what I was thinking. All right. I do see what you're saying, Lee. Next up, we've got Nick Richards, a little bit older for a three-year player at 25 years old. He played in 65 games this season and started in nine of those. I feel like that was low. I thought thought he started more. But anyway, I thought his story was one of the cooler ones for the season. I mean, him and DSJ were probably the, the two storylines that I loved the most. And in the offseason, you heard all this praise from Steve Clifford, and it definitely came to fruition this season out of Dick Richards. And he was going to be a free agent this offseason. He just signed a three-year extension, $15 million back in March. Ben, I'll, I'll let you lead off with Nick Richards here and let us know what you saw from him. And we don't need to stick to offense, defense. We, you can go good, bad, wherever you want to go with him. Um, all right. Well, Nick Richards is certainly a flawed player. No one's going to sit here and argue that he's not. But he's one of those guys that for what he is, which is what you're hoping a uh, 18-minute backup big man, if that, that can start if needed. That's I mean, he's pretty valuable in that respect. He he doesn't excel in any one area. Well, actually, that's not true. He's a good offensive rebounder, and he showed nice touch. He was a good finisher this year. He's athletic. Um, defensively, he gets lost. He They obviously put him in drop coverage because that's where he's going to be at his best. And it's not always great. He blocks some shots, and that's cool. Um but offensively, I think is honestly where the value is when you are playing with Lamelo. He's well when he's not setting illegal screens anyway. Um, he's a good fit. He, he's like I said, very athletic, a nice lob thread to have. He's a good offensive rebounder, and that that's where the value comes. You don't need a defensive anchor coming off the bench, and that's not what he's being asked to do. He um for so basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's flawed, but when we, well, we're looking at what he's being asked to do with Mark Williams obviously being the franchise center. It's a very nice, he's a very nice like compliment. I don't think you have to change your play style that much when Mark comes out of the game. He does a lot of similar things, and I think that he, he complements the playmakers on the team very well, and he does what he does very well, and the flaws aren't too glaring. All right. So, yeah, I would agree with a lot of what you said, Ben. And he's limited, I guess, flawed, limited, whatever you want to call it. He's very defined in what he can do. You mentioned his offensive rebounding. He's very good at using his body and his positioning to get to the spots under the basket to grab those offensive rebounds. He had a 13.2 offensive rebound percentage, 95, 95th percentile there. There's not much diversity in his game, um, but he's just a relentless energetic player and that's very evident it just jumps off on the screen I think outside of the offensive rebounding the biggest area that you can point to on offense is that pick and roll and I don't necessarily think he's like much of a lob threat in terms of like an alley-oop finisher but like just getting up there grabbing it and going back up Uh, so I do think he's the one of the most efficient players out of the pick and roll for Charlotte this season and then defensively he may not be as versatile as Mark Williams, and to Ben's point, like he's going to be in drop most of the time. Uh, but he did come up higher on pick and roll defense than I would have expected on some possessions. He is very good as a rim protector, contesting shots, altering the ease of shots of opponents. And then one thing I noticed, I actually went back this morning and watched 25, 30 of his blocks this season. A lot of them, he does a good job of 
getting off the court a second time. And now he's he's not a high jumper by any means. So it's it's not like a, a jumping high, coming back down and, and trying to get back up quickly, but he still is able to get off that second jump and recover in that particular way. So it's been a very interesting season, Lee, for Nick Richards. I think the injury that he suffered midseason where he lost his uh, starting job to Mark Williams was kind of unfortunate. And he really never gained that back towards the tail end of the season. And to Ben's point, he was uh, the biggest culprit of illegal screens on this roster by a wide margin. I believe it was 31 <laughs> offensive fouls uh, when it comes to those bad screens. And I think, I think that goes to like him not being as nimble as Mark Williams. And I think that shows up in a lot of different areas. Yeah, he, he's never going to be uh, – well, he's never going to match the kind of promise that Mark Williams has as a more versatile up-and-down-the-lineup defender. Um, I mean, you see flashes from Mark Williams um, switching out, you know, on wings that is just kind of – it, you know, at least from a future projection standpoint is pretty incredible. So obviously Richards, if, if you're any sort of longtime listener to the pod, you, you know, he's a guy that's been dear. I mean, Richards is to me what McDaniels was, I think for Richie in terms of just <laughs> kind of being a proponent for this guy when, you know, the, the, there, there wasn't much to be a proponent of, but uh, I like, I liked him a ton coming out of the 2020 draft. I was kind of a long you know, entrenched myself as a Richards over Vernon Carey guy for a long time there when that was a bit of a debate on which of those two second round picks might be able to hang around the roster. So for him to sign a three year, $15 million extension this season for him to, I mean, look, coming into this season, it was still a very open question on whether he was a second contract NBA player or not, uh, you know, kind of a lot like Cody Martin. If you go back a year prior um, both of them had contract seasons in which they proved that they were at least rotational NBA players. Um, so I feel really good about Richards, like kind of locking him up as your second backup center or, or look, maybe even your third backup center, depending on who the Hornets get in the draft, which is OK. Like it's totally fine to spend five million dollars a year on your second or third backup rotational big because you know injuries happen suspensions happen like you you need that you need that depth particularly on a team that is trying to find its place uh defensively you know look career highs and kind of traditional counting stats which is fine but what's even better that if you dig deeper career high and per 36 as well so it's not just the fact that he had more opportunity um, he is progressing as a like per minute possession player with efficiency and production as an NBA uh, center. Um, I will also note that he was the best three point shooter on the team this year oh. at a hundred percent. I'm going to leave out <laughs> the fact that he was only one for one on the year, but uh, you know, just a, just a really nice feather in his cap there. A really good free throw. Well, I shouldn't say really good free throw shooter, but a very solid free throw shooter. Um, for a backup center at 75%. The defense on the season, Nick Richards on the floor, 114.2 points allowed per 100 possessions, which is above league average. Uh, The Hornets finished about 20th um, in defensive net rating on the year. Um, And with Richards on on the floor, that was even a bit better. So 
Um, you know, he's, he's an impactful player. He's, he's certainly has his limitations. And the last thing I'll say about Richards is he has proven that he can identify something he's not great at and slowly improve at it. So my two examples for that is his hands have gotten a lot better in his years in the NBA. And his three-point shot. And his three-point shot, exactly, <laughs> which I already highlighted. <laughs> uh, his hands have gotten better. Like it was, it was very obvious that Nick Richards need to need to improve as as a receiver with his hands as a center. And it was also very obvious that Nick Richards needed to improve as a disciplined shot contester around the rim early in his career. He would flail at any pump fake you gave him. He would go for blocks that he had no business going after. Um, and get out of position and, and the opposing centers would, would put in offensive rebounds. He got better at both of those things. So the illegal screen screens thing is um, painfully obvious, but because of his track record, I believe that he can identify that problem and fix it because he's done it before. Any final thoughts, Ben, on Nick Richards? Yeah, I think that was a great point. What Lee said about the fact that he is just, when he came in, he, was an energy guy that was good at zero things. I mean, not a single thing. And he turned himself into a, I mean, a really solid player that, like I said, gives you a 15 to 20 minutes a night and you are comfortable with that. And that's, that's great. And let's go ahead and give our grade. I think, I think this was the easiest one for me of the four that we're going to talk about. And I think exceeding expectations is, is pretty much a blow away answer here. I think I put out a poll on Buzzbeat Twitter and, and I would say like 90% of the people said exceeded expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Exceeded. <laughs> Agreed. Just, just based on what the, what the situation was preseason to what it is now, definitely exceeded. All right. That doesn't conclude our conversation with Ben H on Twitter. He actually stayed on and we had a conversation about Kelly Oubre as well as Dennis Smith Jr. And so that's going to be the second episode of the week where we grade them on offense and defense and just their overall expectations on how they performed this season. I guess depending on when you're listening to this and what podcast feed you're listening to it on, uh, the timing will change. For our BuzzBeat Plus subscribers, that Kelly Oubre and DSJ episode will be out on Tuesday. For the remaining BuzzBeat public feed, our regular subscribers, that episode will be out on Thursday. So again, we appreciate you guys joining us. Hope you guys like the conversation. Again, share this episode. Tell a Hornets fan about BuzzBeat. And we will continue with some off-season coverage and off-season pods as well. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.